I'm going to read you some names that won't mean anything to you. You won't know any of the people who I mentioned, most likely. Unless you grew up with me, you, you won't recognize any of them, and I don't believe that I grew up with anybody here. So I'll mention a few of these. Peggy Burden. Don't, don't know her, do you? She was my first grade teacher. Wonderful Christian lady who, who taught school for years and years and years and then retired and taught Sunday school, served her church, and so on. Lovely, lovely woman of God. Wayne and Betty Brown. Doesn't ring a bell. They're my third grade Sunday school teachers. And really the first class that I remember somebody giving me the chance to have some kind of leadership role somewhere. I'll never forget. They gave me the part of Nehemiah in a play. I had to inspect the walls of Jerusalem real pensively. I was, I was in character. Jeff Prosser, probably don't know that name either. He was a small group leader of mine. He's now the director of the Baptist Campus Ministry at Eastern Kentucky University, a great friend, great mentor and leader in my life, a few years older and further down the road with Jesus. Doug Pope, probably don't know Doug. He was my 12th grade Sunday school teacher and a guy that I had known since I was born and an incredible mentor in my life, a great man of God to this day and somebody I know I can call and say, Doug, I need you to pray for me or Doug, I need some advice and he's there. Kerry Jones, the greatest man of God except for my dad that I've ever met. He's my youth pastor. Great friend even to this day. And he's the reason, aside from God's simple call on my life, he's the reason that I wanted to go into ministry. Tog Goodson and Josh Sherwood. Probably don't know them either. I'll tell you, Josh has been here before. Those are my two closest friends. One lives in Jacksonville, Florida, the other in Atlanta, Georgia. Guys who I allow to speak into my life, anything they need to, whatever it may be. I'll get a text or a call, and it may be encouragement or how you're doing or whatever it may be. You know, you don't know any of those people, but I'm here today because of them. I've I've been so impacted by them that folks you'll never meet, they've never written a book, they're not rich, they're not famous. They've, they don't have a podcast. They don't have a blog. They, they, they're not social media stars. Nobody really knows who they are, but I do. And they've made a tremendous difference in my life. Now, you could make a list very similar to that. If I were to ask you just very quickly, write down six or eight people who have impacted your life in an incredible way, primarily in a spiritual, Jesus-focused way, you could probably list a lot of people. You may list parents, grandparents, friends, teachers, whomever it may be. You could probably easily come up with that kind of list. And odds are that simply because we all live generally here in the same area and some of you grew up together, you may know some of those folks, but some of them may be known only to you. It's those kind of people that I want to talk about this morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is over in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, a copy of the Bible this morning, go to the table of contents. If you don't know where Philippians is, and look it up, go to the page number. It's just a short little letter in the New Testament, so if you're flipping through, you might miss it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So if you get the Revelation, you've gone too far. If you're at Matthew, you haven't gone far enough, so keep going. 
But however it is, get to the scripture this morning if you would. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 25 to 30. We're, We're in a series for those who have been with us. I'll recap. For those who are new with us this morning, let me kind of catch you up to speed. We're in a series called A Letter from Your Pastor. Now, this is not something from me to Elm Grove. This is something from a pastor, founding pastor of this church known as the Philippian Church, a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who founded, started their church on a missionary journey about 10 years before he wrote to them in this letter we now know as the letter to the Philippians. Paul was a great missionary, the first and greatest Christian missionary, and started that church, cared deeply for them. And about 10 years later, he'd experienced some hardship. He was placed on house arrest for preaching the gospel. Things aren't going so well for him. The Philippians, caring deeply for him, sent him some money and inquired, Paul, how are you doing? So he's writing back, first, to say, thanks for the, the gift that you've given me. Secondly, here's how I'm doing. And thirdly, let me just mix in some examples and some teaching that you need to make sure that you understand. So this is addressed to an entire church, not just to an individual. So this applies, yes, individually, but to us as Elm Grove Church. One of the things that Paul mentioned in the end of chapter 1, he told them to live what he said in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, basically what he meant by that was live as if Jesus really has changed you. Live as if Jesus really does live inside of you, as if Jesus really is your life. And so what he's going on to do up through the end of chapter 2, which we'll see today, is just give examples of what that means. What does it mean to live as if Jesus really has changed your life? I don't know if you ever wonder like that, but, okay, where does it stop? Does, does it affect every part of my life, or just, do I just need to do better, do more religious things? What does that really mean? Paul is helping them understand how this practically plays out in everyday living. And so we've seen some examples of that already. The example we get to today is Paul writing to the Philippians about a member of their church that has been with Paul doing ministry that Paul is going to be sending back to them And he's going to talk about what it's like to serve people, and he'll he'll highlight some of the things about this man, and then what they should do in response to someone who has served them so well. This is all about living out the gospel. Now, I'll tell you this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, when it changes your life, when Jesus comes into your life, it doesn't affect just your Sunday morning routine. It doesn't. Your Sunday morning routine may change because now you want to gather with the church to worship the Lord and hear his word preached. That may change, but that's not where it stops. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a believer in Jesus and changes every part about you. So why does this scripture matter? This is why I tell you. Why does it matter? You might say, how in the world did you get a sermon out of that? It matters because this is an example of how Jesus has changed the life of this man named Epaphroditus, this servant, and how Paul wants to see the church changed and respond to people like this. This is an extension of how our life is lived out when Jesus is in charge. So I just want you to understand that. This isn't about go and do this, this, and this, and God will be pleased. This is how we respond to the Lord living inside of us and how we live it out. So look with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice when you see him again 
and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, a couple of things real quick. Epaphroditus is a member of the Philippian church. He has a Greek name, which is why it sounds odd to us. But he was a guy who had been sent to Paul, and Paul is now returning him to the Philippian church. Obviously, he had a great relationship with the church. He went to serve Paul. Some bad things happened to him along the way. He was able to help Paul when the Philippians could not be physically present. That's what verse 30 is talking about. The ministry that was lacking was not because they didn't care, just because they could not physically be there. And so Paul is now sending him back. So that's, that's who we have here. I want to speak this morning on behalf of the people like I mentioned earlier. I want you to know that I'm not speaking on behalf of myself this morning. The title of the sermon is Love Those Who Serve You. Now, certainly I serve here at this church, but I'm not asking you for anything for me. I'm asking you and us on behalf of other people. So understand that. Just make sure that you know. Two things here that I believe Paul gives us as examples that we can look at, really two parts to the sermon, if you will. The first is, what can you expect when you're serving, and then how do you respond to people who serve you? The idea of serving, when I mention that word, I simply mean those who pour into your life, those who help you, those who lead you, those who mentor you, those who do things for you in the name of Jesus, that's who we're talking about, that kind of service. Many of you have done those things, and all of us have been on the receiving end. So I want to give you the full truth this morning and the challenge that comes with it. What to expect, first of all, when you serve. Now, my wife has had four children, and every time we've had that book called What to Expect When You're Expecting, and she reads it, you know, it's like the pregnancy Bible or whatever, and, and so, you know, and then what to expect, you know, the toddler years, with, you just throw that book out the window. I mean, that one doesn't make any sense because somebody who probably never had a toddler wrote the book, and, and you know, but, but she has these But what to expect when you're expecting. And it tells you all these different things, you know. Body's going to change a little. Um, you know, you, you're probably going to experience a little bit of upset stomach from time to time. It's not going to feel exactly great. It's going to be really weird, and, you know, your husband's not going to understand any of it. I mean, that, that, you know, that should be the subtitle. But, but I want to give you this morning, what can you expect when you get involved in service, when you're going to lead other people, when you're going to help them, when you're going to give your life in the service of others in the name of Jesus, what can you expect? I think we get by implication some of the things that Epaphroditus went through that Paul is making sure to reinforce and help the Philippians see that so that they can respond accordingly. So three things here on either side of that. What to expect when you're serving people. First of all, you aren't alone, but you may feel like it. You aren't alone, but you may feel like it. Look at verse 25. I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. What does Paul call him? My brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And I wonder why does it feel sometimes so lonely when we're serving, when we're doing something for other people. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But Epaphroditus here is not mentioned anywhere else. He didn't write any books of Scripture. He didn't preach any sermons that we know of. We don't have anything recorded in history about him. He was just basically an anonymous guy who did some service for the Lord and for the Philippian church. And at some point, maybe he just felt like, you know, here I am out here doing all this. I'm away from my home. I'm serving with this guy who's on house arrest. There's really not anybody friendly around here. And, and I feel really, really alone. 
He wasn't famous. He never became rich as far as we know. He didn't minister to anybody in some spectacular way. And when you're doing just basic service for the Lord and other people, it's really easy. Maybe you've noticed this. It's really easy to feel overlooked, to feel anonymous. Does anybody even know who I am? Does anybody care what I'm doing? I've been doing this for years. Does anybody, does anybody know? Does it matter to anybody what I'm doing? You may feel underappreciated or just what you're doing is pointless. You know, I, I keep showing up all the time. I keep doing these things. I, I'm, I'm performing this service, whatever it may be. And it's not just about here at church. It may be just with your family and your friends. You continue to love them and support them and serve them. And you say, you know, I don't see any point in it anymore. And you begin to feel very lonely. It's easy to feel those ways. And yet, what I find so amazing about Paul is that he recognizes here's a guy who had to leave his home church, came and experienced some tremendous hardship, and he's going to send him back, and he wants him to know, look, you're never alone, because look at what he calls him. He says, you're my brother, you're my co-worker, you're my fellow soldier. You're my brother, he says. We share a spiritual life together. You're my co-worker. We've participated together in the work of the gospel ministry. We've done this together. You're my fellow soldier. I'm with you in the hardships that you've gone through. I don't know about you, but it sure is nice to know that you're not alone. It's not just a pep talk today. It really is. That's what the church is to be about, that no one walks alone. Even though Epaphroditus was relatively anonymous, he was not alone. And Paul wanted to make sure that he understood that. There there are some who speculate that it was Epaphroditus who actually took the letter to the Philippians. He delivered it. There, there are some who, who speculate that maybe he wrote it down or that he, he was the guy who, who carried it and, and passed it along. Paul reinforcing it. Imagine him dictating this letter in the presence of Epaphroditus and what it must have done for that young man to say, here's the great apostle Paul who considers me his brother, who considers me his co-worker, his fellow soldier. I'm not alone in this. The church, I mean the people, not just the building, the church If you are a member of the church, first of all, by belief in Jesus Christ for salvation, secondly, then by joining up with a local body of believers, you have been provided the perfect opportunity to never go through life alone. To me, there's no greater shame and sadness than to see somebody who is in the church, a believer in Jesus, and a part of a local body be alone. And I don't just mean live alone. I understand that circumstances sometimes dictate that, but I truly mean to go through life alone. And yet, if we were to poll the audience this morning and take a show of hands and then have you look around at the folks who would say, I feel lonely this morning, we'd be shocked. I just want you to know that regardless of how you feel, let's counter that with the truth that when you are a member of the body of Christ, you are never alone. First and foremost, because Jesus lives inside of you. He promised never to leave you, never forsake you. And secondly, he's provided you with brothers and sisters, co-workers, fellow soldiers for the journey. Maybe this week it's just time to admit, I need a little help. (laughs) Maybe it's time to let the guard down just a tad and to say, you know what? I'm pretty lonely. Nobody knows it. I've never admitted it. The people I live with don't even know it. People I work with, they sure don't know it. And I'm afraid to tell anybody at church because I'm this and I'm that and I lead this area or I serve here and there. But I tell you what, I'm pretty lonely. I feel alone. 
And maybe, just maybe, you'd find out how the body of Christ, believers, will rally around you and say, you know what? You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my co-worker, my fellow soldier. We're in this together. I'm going to support you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. Imagine what that did for Epaphroditus. Imagine what that will do for us. When you serve, when you get involved with people's lives, when you give your life in service to the Lord and to others, you're not alone, but you might feel like it. Counter it with truth. Get some help this week. Secondly, you have a vital role, but you can easily forget it. You have a vital role. You play a vital role, but it's easy to forget that. Look again at verse 25. I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as, here's the role he played, your messenger and minister to my need. He was sent as a messenger selected for something very important to carry this gift of money to Paul. He was the guy who took the Philippians offering that they had collected, a special gift for Paul, took it to him, and in so doing, not only was he their messenger and their representative, but he was ministering to Paul. He helped Paul. He served him. That word minister is very closely related to the word deacon, somebody who serves and helps and makes sure that folks have their needs met and so on. The word minister there, the word messenger rather, is a similar word to the word apostle, somebody who represents the one who has sent you. And so this is the vital role that Epaphroditus plays. He might have just figured, I'm just taking money to this guy who's on house arrest that I've never met before. My church sent me and I'm not sure it's that big a deal. You know, after all, I don't preach sermons and I don't write books. And this guy, he's Paul. You know, I, he's really something. But he really plays a vital role. I don't know if you ever felt that way as if, you know, what I'm doing is really not that important. But I go back to Peggy Burden and Wayne and Betty Brown and Jeff Prosser and Kerry Jones and the people in my life who may have said, eh, I'm not so sure it's making much difference. And yet by their service to the Lord in serving me, by their love for the Lord in loving me, I am largely who I am today on the good side of that. You play a vital role. Epaphroditus could have said, well, nobody really knows. It's not ever going to be that big a deal. All I did was take money, so maybe it just doesn't matter. But you know, there's a reason why he was entrusted with that money. There was a reason why his service to Paul was so important. And when you look at verse 27, it talks about he'd been sick. And Paul says he had mercy, God had mercy on Epaphroditus, but not only on Epaphroditus. What does Paul say? This guy is so vital. I feel so strongly about him that God, when he healed Epaphroditus, had mercy on me, on Paul. That way I wouldn't have one grief on top of another. I, I wouldn't experience the pain of losing my friend and this minister to my need. Every one of us plays a vital role in our service to the Lord and to other people. You are vital to somebody. I'm not sure exactly who that is in every person's life, but you are vital to somebody. No matter how old you get, no matter how young you are, no matter how obscure you think your life is, no matter how pointless you think your job is, no matter how ridiculous you think your week has been, you are vital to somebody. And the Lord has put you into service in His name for somebody. You are vital. But it's easy to forget that. Sometimes you don't see the payoff. Sometimes you do something for years and years and years and it seems pointless. But my challenge to you this morning is to remember 
the example here of Epaphroditus, you are vital to somebody and recommit, re-up, if you will, to say, I'm going to continue to serve, continue to love, continue to pour myself out because I know God has placed me in this vital role. For some, that's very easy for you to see. I think of the role that I play in my kids' lives, and sometimes you just think, eh, I recognize, again, how vital that role is for my children. Sometimes it's easy to see. Maybe this week you'd have to spend some time with God and say, Lord, you're going to have to show me because I don't see anything vital about what I'm doing. It seems pointless. But remember, you're vital to someone. God is using you in ways that you cannot even see. Remember that. Recommit to it. So you're not alone. You have a vital role. And then thirdly, when you serve, you will put yourself at risk, and you'll wonder if it's worth it. You'll put yourself at risk, and and quite often you'll wonder, is it worth it? Look at verse 26. Speaking of Epaphroditus, Paul wrote this, He has been longing for all of you. He wants to come to you, and he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. So he went through some physical difficulties. He got sick somehow. We're not told exactly what. But he got sick, very, very sick. And then on top of that, when he heard that the Philippians were really upset about him being sick, what happened? He got upset. So he's going through psychological and emotional distress on top of his physical illness. Indeed, verse 27 says, he was so sick that he nearly died. And then look at verse 30. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. That word risk there means to to basically lay yourself out, to give yourself over to. Epaphroditus had so given himself over to the work of Christ and to the service of others, that it put him at risk. He experienced physical difficulties, emotional difficulties, psychological stress. And the truth be told, when you sign up to say, I'm going to impact people's lives for the sake of Christ, when I'm going to get involved with other people, when I'm going to serve, whether it's here at the church or just people in general, you're putting yourself at risk. Let me tell you how to go through life risk-free. Do nothing. Ever. Do nothing. Just sit at home. Just watch your daytime television, your shows, your stories, if you will. My grandmother used to call them. Watch your stories. Watch Dr. Phil, all of that. And, and just do nothing. Risk nothing. But let me tell you what you'll gain by doing that. Nothing. You'll gain nothing. You'll make no impact. You'll never be on anybody's list. You'll never be employed for the service of God, and you'll never receive what God wants you to have built into you by serving. You're going to put yourself at risk. Because when you serve the Lord and when you serve other people, it's going to require something out of you physically. I don't know if you've ever worked with young people before. They wear you out. Man. I mean, they just flat wear you out. I was a youth pastor for five years and then took early retirement. That's all I can handle. I just, whew. And I, I get to work now with nine-year-old boys playing baseball. We got 15 of them. We have practice two or three times a week. You have known fatigue until you work with nine-year-old boys. Whew. Some of you have been teachers and leaders in different areas. And, and, and then, uh, let me tell you what wears you out even more than that. It's working with adults. You know, because I left youth ministry and I became a, a, a pastor, senior pastor. Whew. 
Then I just realized nobody really grew up. They just <laughs> took their problems right on with them. Woo! It wears you out, doesn't it? You're going to get involved in people's lives. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's hard. Physically, it takes a toll because there's something to give. You exert energy. It's going to require lots out of you emotionally as well. You're going to care more than people say you should. You know that? And when you, when you serve people, folks are going to say, look, just move on. Why do you, why do you keep doing this? I mean, they're not worth it. I mean, obviously, they don't want anything you're offering them. Why, why keep doing this? You're going to care more than people say you should. And you're going to keep on doing it no matter what they tell you. You realize that? It's going to require something of you emotionally. You'll care about things that nobody else cares about. It may hurt you relationally as well because people are going to let you down. They're not going to return the favor. You're going to care and you're going to serve and you're, you're going to do all those things and they're going to pretend like you never did it. It's good news, isn't it? Some people in your family are going to think you've gone way too far. You know, I, I get it. <laughs> Appreciate what you're trying to do. You know, this whole Jesus thing with you, that's cool, but you know, for it to really affect your life and for you to care and give and give and give with nothing you expect in return. I mean, at, at some point, doesn't it stop? You know, I have to say, based upon the cross of Jesus Christ, I say, thank God it never stopped. So I'm not going to stop. But, but you put yourself at risk in all those different ways. And, you know, you put yourself at risk also spiritually. Because if you truly choose to live out your faith in Jesus Christ and it have effect on you and the world around you, then Satan, our great enemy, does not like it. You're going to come under attack in ways that you can't even explain, just little things here and there, and then big things every so often, and you say, what's going on? You may also have to sacrifice financially. It's going to require great sacrifice, little immediate payoff, and lots of vulnerability to serve the Lord and to serve other people. You're going to sometimes wonder if it's worth it. You're going to be tired. You're going to be drained. You're going to be lonely, and it won't make you rich financially. There are going to be moments when you get nothing but negative in return. And the question is, why on earth would anybody sign up for that? I mean, you know, I've, I've depressed you now. <laughs> yeah. Easter's next week. I'm kind of looking forward to that, you know. Maybe that's the way to get you back. I don't know. But in that, I mean, that, who would sign up for that? Sounds so depressing. And yet, Epaphroditus in verse 26 six says, I've been longing for all of you. <laughs> he just wants to get back to them. That's all he cares about. I've been longing for you. It's worn him out. It's put him at risk. It's made him stretch himself so far. And yet he says, I just can't wait to get back to you. Paul, Paul said in, in chapter 2, I, I, if I'm poured out for you, then it's joy to me. There is something about serving the Lord. When you truly serve the Lord with nothing expected in return, the Holy Spirit births inside of you the fruit of the Spirit, and you overflow even when you get nothing tangible in return. I can't prove that to you. You can only experience it by going all out for the Lord. I think those folks who 
experienced the downside of service over and over and over again are probably looking for things in return that God never promised us in return. You know, I, I can tell you as a pastor that what pastors are set up to look for is a promotion. That includes a bigger church and more money. I hope you all know by now, I just try to shoot you straight. (laughs) You know, that's what we're set up for. And you know what you're set up for in service to the Lord is to say, well, if you do this, then everything's going to be taken care of. I mean, look what you're going to get in return. Isn't it great? I mean, you're just going to be so full of life. I really believe what God offers us in return is just more of Him. And if that's not enough, then nothing will be enough. I'll tell you that. And there's no amount of money, there's no return tangibly that can ever compare to what Paul says, knowing Jesus Christ your Lord and being able to share with him the joy even in his sufferings. Epaphroditus sure thought it was worth it. I've been longing for all of you, verse 26. I want to challenge you this week when it comes to your service to truly shove all the chips to the middle of the table. So you know what? I have nothing left. Totally pushing it all to the middle. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve others. And I'm going to trust that what I receive in return, more knowledge, more fellowship with Jesus Christ will be enough. I can't do that for you. I can't coerce you. I can't make you. I can't, I'm not going to put a guilt trip on you. I just want you to know that when you do, that's when the Lord returns himself even more to you. That's when you experience him more. Now, you won't always be on the giving side. Sometimes you're going to be on the receiving side. I promise you the second part of the sermon is shorter than the first. Sometimes, like the Philippians, you're going to be the one who has received the service and what Paul says to them that they should do for Epaphroditus is how we need to respond when we are served. Now, I will just tell you, I have a major problem with being served. I I struggle with it. I'm too arrogant and prideful, and I don't like anybody doing anything for me. I recognize there are certain things people have to do for me. Mark Hale knows that. I call Mark all the time. Mark, uh, can you come over? Because I don't know how to do this. And you know what? I don't even try it anymore because I'm just going to mess it up, and then Mark's got a bigger problem to fix later on. I just gave up. But, you know, I struggle with being served sometimes. Maybe I'm so arrogant I just feel like I'm above that or, 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 or I just, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know if you're like that, but, but you will experience times in your life where people do things for you and you can't really pay them back. <laughs> you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something for them and they're just returning the favor. They just loved you and served you. How do you respond? Here's what Paul says. First, always give them benefit of the doubt. Look at verse 29. He talks about Epaphroditus and how he loves them and and he's coming back to them. And Paul says, therefore, welcome him. That literally means just throw the door open. No reservations, no hesitancy. Just open your arms to him. Don't think anything bad about him. Paul needed to explain that, look, he's coming back not because he's failed, not because he hasn't fulfilled his ministry, not because he can't hack it. He's coming back because he loves you. Don't think anything bad about him. It's interesting Paul would have to explain. You, you need to welcome this guy back. There must have been something there that they're like, eh, I'm not so sure. Why is he coming back? 
All of a sudden he shows up and they're sort of excited and confused. Why, why are you back? What happened? We thought we had sent you and go, to go help Paul. You're supposed to stay with him through his house arrest. What, what happened? And Paul says, look, nothing, nothing went wrong. Welcome him. He served you well. Welcome him. Give him benefit of the doubt. Now, for those who served you, I, I think I think maybe we we need to give each other benefit of the doubt. If there's any place that we ought to receive that, it ought to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it ought to be that we say nothing negative or against anyone until we truly know all the facts. To give benefit of the doubt to those who we've served with, those who love us, those who have served us. Paul just says, welcome him. Don't, don't think anything bad about him. No suspicion. He's coming back because I'm sending him back. They were to receive him just like that. Secondly, they're to treat him like family. So when folks serve you, treat them like family. Look, look at verse 29 again. Welcome him in the Lord with all joy. The idea there, in the Lord, as if he is a brother in Christ. Welcome him as if Jesus would welcome him, and Jesus calls us his brothers and his sisters. Welcome him in the Lord. Treat him like family, sort of like at a family reunion. Now, I know some of you got some crazy family members, and you don't want to do anything but claim them as family, much less to welcome them. You sort of tolerate them as you eat your fried chicken and potato salad. That's just what you do at a family reunion. But, you have those family members that, you know what, you haven't seen them in a while? I had the opportunity last week. We drove to Louisville after the service. My grandmother's surprise 80th birthday party was Sunday evening. And the first person that I saw walking in was my dad's middle brother, Eddie. I hadn't seen him in a year and a half, maybe, I guess it was. And I walked in, and he's, he's, he's that guy that I really just enjoy talking to. So I walked in, gave him a big hug. It's sort of like a family reunion. It, it was, hey, look, I'm so glad to see you. Paul says to welcome him, in the Lord, welcome him in the Lord as if he's a brother in Christ. People that have served you. Love them. Appreciate them. Despite their flaws, they may be like your crazy uncle. I don't know. But despite their flaws, will you love them? Will you treat them as people who have done so much for you? Will you give them a hug? Will you invite them over just like you would family? Would you take them out to lunch? Would you get them something nice? You didn't know this sermon was going to cost you money, did you? How would you treat a family member? Paul says, look, Epaphroditus is coming back as one of you. Throw the doors open. Welcome him. Treat him just like he's a family member. And then finally, never take them for granted. Never take them for granted. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in honor. Give him recognition, he says. Respect him. Hold him in high esteem. He's calling both for passive feeling, which is a feeling of respect, and then proactive, intentional action. Do something for him, sort of like a hero's welcome. I wonder how often do we treat the people who have served us and loved us and helped us so much, do we treat them like true heroes of our faith? Paul wants to make sure that Epaphroditus does not go unnoticed. That what he did is recognized, even though it may seem small, 
but he's recognized for faithful service to the Lord and to the Philippians. I want to do something that's going to embarrass a few of you. I'm just going to tell you up front. I, I, I recognize here that we have lots of folks, and some I'll just tell you, you won't be embarrassed because I... Cause, and it's not meant to make you feel bad, but you won't be standing here in just a second. Some of you have to stand up. And if you don't stand up, then I will track you down. And I will make you get out of your seat. Not really. We have some folks here who have served the Lord at Elm Grove for years and years and years and years in consistent and ongoing service. All I'm asking this morning, if, you, if that's you, you say, you know what, I, I've, I've served at some point in my life in a consistent, ongoing fashion in one of the ministries of this church. I don't care what it is. You say, well, all I did was collect the offering. All you did was collect the offering. All Epaphroditus did was take the offering to Paul. You say, all I did was I taught Sunday school every other week. Really? I guarantee you taught some people in here that are grateful for that. If you would, all I want you to do, Paul says, treat them with honor. Give them respect and esteem. If that's you, if you've served in some capacity, whatever it is, on a consistent and ongoing basis throughout your lifetime and your service here, do me a favor and stand. I'm going to have to stand with you because I preach every week. Thank you, Miss Donna, for standing. Please stand, and, and if you would, stand. I there's more than Miss Donna. Thank you. Now, I know you're embarrassed. Stand up with them, please. Come on, let's go. We're going to be here all day till you stand, all right? I'm not going to give up the microphone until you stand. Now, there's some, you're uncomfortable with that because you don't like to get recognition. I totally understand, but let me tell you this. Thank you. Thank you. And I really mean that. Is this a celebration? Is this worshiping people today? No, 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 that's not what it's about. This is about living out our faith to say, here's what Paul said, we should treat people like that with honor. We should recognize them. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. As a way to live out your commitment to Christ, you say, I love Jesus, and I know that he's put so many people in my life. I want you to find somebody or some person or some people, whomever it may be, you say, they're on my list. And you know what? Maybe I'm not where I need to be spiritually, but if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be where I am. And you'd tell them thanks. In some way, you'd give them an ovation. In some way, you'd show some token of appreciation and love. Paul told the Philippians, this guy is coming back. Just assume the best in him. Treat him like a family member and never take him for granted. What would we be without the people God has put in our lives? We understand that God is the one who has orchestrated the circumstances, but we know that those people have been used by him. And our response is to make sure that they never are taken for granted. I told you, this isn't about me. I don't need you to come up after the service and say thanks to me. I I don't at all. Please understand that. There are folks here who are even reluctant to stand. (laughs) They just need to be told thank you. You have no idea what God has done through you in my life. And you may shock them. They may be somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time. But I wonder this week, would would you just pray for those folks? Tell them thanks? Would Would you let them know what they've meant to you? 
You say, I'm just living out my faith. I, this, God has so changed me. He's now opened my eyes to the people that he's put in my life. Just thank you. So many people, when they have folks do something for them, never acknowledge it. You probably work for people like that. You show up every day, you do your job, you do what's right, you do your thing. Nobody ever says thanks. Well, a paycheck's enough, isn't it? Let's not be like that in the church. Let's not assume that people have received the honor that is due them. It's not about people worship, but about the family of God loving on one another to say, you know what, I'm not going to let what you've done go unrecognized. I'm not going to let what you've done be ignored. Thank you for doing that. Serving isn't easy. Don't expect it to be. That's the first part. And because serving isn't easy, make sure that we love on the people who have served us. If we're going to be the family of God that he has called us to be, then let's do it. Let's love on those people. Let's let that be an extension of our faith in Christ. The first person this morning that we need to express our praise and gratitude to is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we can say thanks to people all day long, but if we never acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, and we've done nothing, it's just been empty chatter. So this morning, I hope that you understand that Jesus wants to affect every part of your life, and it's only as He does that you can truly be changed. As we look at our Easter sermon next week, we're going to see the ultimate truth. Jesus did everything perfectly because we can't. Jesus died for us because we weren't worthy to die for ourselves. And Jesus was raised again because we need new life and we need to be reborn. It's a simple gospel message, but it's always true. And so this morning, you're not perfect. If you'd like me to prove it to you, we can talk after the service. We'll figure out some way you're not perfect. I've had to admit the same myself. You're not perfect, but Jesus was. He lived for you. You deserve to die for your sins and your imperfections. But God only accepts a perfect sacrifice. A perfect one had to die, and that was Jesus. He died in your place. And one day, we will all stand before the Lord. And only those, Jesus said, who have been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit of God, will be allowed into heaven. I wonder which side you're on. Love those who serve you as an extension of your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, show us what response individually and collectively we need this morning. Whether it's a first-time commitment to Jesus based upon the truth of the gospel that we cannot save ourselves or a recommitment to what we've heard this morning simply saying, I'm going to say thanks to somebody, or whatever it may be. Show us today how to live out our faith. Change us from the inside out. Make us different. Give us courage and boldness to respond to you in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.